Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Megan. And I'm Deidre. And today we have a special guest here to talk with us about being an Enneagram 3. And this guest is pretty near and dear to my heart. Hope Pretty. Mogger, my daughter. <laughs> I'm going to introduce you just really briefly and then let you talk a little bit, Hope, but she is my second born. She is 18 and a freshman at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And there's a lot more I could say about her, but I'll let her just share a little bit about herself. Yeah. So like she said, I'm her daughter, 18. Um, I'm studying public relations and advertising, very passionate about creativity and art, but incorporating that in a practical way to reach people and communicate. So yeah, that's, that's you in the most benign way that you could describe you. I think (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of big things. Yes, no, this is good. You are uh, a ball of energy. You are passionate about the things that you pursue. And I love that about you. And so I think that uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what being an Enneagram 3 looks like for you, because obviously Mm -hmm. it's a little different for everyone and how that plays out. Um, But first of all, talk a little bit about the journey that you went on as we were, you know, first discovering this, which we have to credit Mrs. Hall for, I forgot to say that she's Mrs. Hall to you because she taught you fifth, sixth, (laughs) and seventh slash eighth grade since you skipped seventh and went right on to eighth. So three years was her teacher. We spent a lot of time together in middle school. It was was good. (laughs) You may know her better than I do. (laughs) Um, I just, my favorite stories of Hope were when she would walk into my room and say, can I clean your desk off for you? (laughs) Yes, please. Uh, (laughs) I forgot I did that. Those years were very influential in who I am as a person today. That sounded ominous. <laughs> yeah, there's there's infamous and there's famous. There's influential and there's influential is the way you said it. <laughs> well, actually, I think um, because of being in that classroom, you were allowed to really explore your creativity and yeah. think outside the box of the pattern that you'd been in. And in doing so, you skipped a grade because you were able to go ahead and move on through the eighth grade material that last year, which got you into the perfect class that you should have been in when you switched schools. And I think set you up to be at ORU at just the right time as well. So uh, just really interesting how God orchestrates our paths. So yeah, talk about coming into a new school as a ninth grader at only four, what you would have been 14 still, I guess, or 13. 13. Yeah. Yeah, I was 13 when I started high school at first, honestly, and this was the same way for college because I was 17 coming into my freshman year of college. It almost feels like you're playing catch up socially, especially coming into a high school where everyone already knew each other and everyone was friends already. The only other new girl in my class had her mom like went ahead and made sure she was already friends with everyone beforehand. So I was really felt like I was playing catch up almost and was constantly, I'll relate this back to being a three, you know, um, constantly trying to be what I thought they needed in their group. And I didn't realize that at the time that that's what I was doing. And that's why I felt so exhausted that first year, but it was like, I was trying to find what the group needed and be that, um, which was totally did not work. And, um, I found some really great friends eventually, um, that just loved me for me, you know, but 
it definitely was interesting because I didn't realize all of that at 13, you know? Sure. So how old were you? What year were you when we all started talking Enneagram stuff? Was that your junior year? Yeah. So that was the summer after my junior year going into my senior year. And my junior year was a very emotional year for me because that was the first year any boys were in the picture. That was the year that there was some, the first time I had really had any sort of friend fight. There was just a lot more, that was just a very developmental year for me. And it was that summer. I remember specifically the week I was actually on a mission trip with one of my really good friends. That's whenever we really talked about it. And I read the book during that trip because we couldn't like, we didn't have service on our phones, so we just read in our free time. Um, and that's when I really learned about it. And at that time, what was the thing that made you realize, like, yeah, I'm a three out of all these types I'm reading about? Um, I think, well, I'm a pretty stereotypical three personality-wise. So it, I tested as a three. It's not like I had to do big discovery. It was pretty obvious. Um, so right away, when it said, oh, they're really good at everything they do. I was like, haha, I like that. I like the way that sounds. (laughs) Then whenever I started reading about how they, I think the thing that really caught my eye was the chameleon thing Mm -hmm. that they have masks that hurt something inside of me. And that's when I kind of knew, okay, this is, this is more than just a personality, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think, um, some people don't resonate as quickly with some of the behaviors of some types. So it's harder Mm -hmm. to sort through that, but really it's not about behavior. It's about the core, the core fear, that core thing. And so I think that you touching that place of, Ooh, I'm wearing mask for people. Um, you explain that well, Megan, when we talk about the core sin or passion of a, of the different types and how deceit is linked to threes and what that means. Yeah. So uh, deceit, um, I think that if a three were just to kind of read that word on a page, they would kind of balk at that because I think a three thinks they're being as real and genuine as possible all the time um, because they're just really good at being wherever they are and they're going to be there themselves, except they're not actually always being true to who they are. Um, That deceit is more like, I'm going to be what this group of people needs for me in this moment. And I know that you experienced that when your friend groups in high school kind of I guess, I don't know if I want to say separated, but I know you had multiple types of friend groups and you were what this group needed to be and what this group needed to be. And that wasn't a bad thing. I mean, I do think that it's good to um, know our friends and, and, and be, again, you know, serve them in those ways. But when you're doing it because you don't think you yourself have any inherent value, then that's kind of where that brokenness sets in. And so yeah. that's probably the pain point you hit when you read about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely was a, eye-opener to see that maybe I'm not maybe I don't have this all figured out like I thought I do you know Uh, yeah well I remember two different times when it would really hurt you when people especially close to you would say things like you know you're being so fake or you're just so extra. And you were like, cause you were really feeling what you were feeling in that moment. That wasn't actually, you weren't mm-hmm. practicing lying or deceit in that way. You know, it was, these are real emotions, especially because when we talk about threes, they're one of those uh, top of the triad things where they're thinking or feeling dominant and feeling repressed. So you feel all the feelings of the group. If this is the speech crowd, we're all in it to win it today. If this is the mm-hmm. uh, the skateboarding crowd, like, let's go. We're going to take it easy today. If this is like yeah. my gymnastics, yes. Like 
toughen up, you know, whatever. I don't know. There was all the different groups of where you belonged and how you fit in. And you weren't lying about who you were in a sense. Like you, you were able to do it. You did it well. And you felt the fun or, or lows or whatever with that your group was feeling. So to you, when someone said that it would like rub you the wrong way, because you felt like they were accusing you of something that you didn't see. So how do you see that differently now? What do you, what do you do with that? Yeah. So I remember specifically my sophomore year, that was a big thing. My sophomore and junior year, the whole year acting fake, um, because I had friends like my best friend in high school, she is a four on the Enneagram. And so very much so values authenticity. Um, but before we really had the verbiage to talk about that, we would get into these subconscious fights where we weren't really saying what <laughs> out loud, but she would be upset with me because she saw that I would act different with other people. And yeah. I just thought, well, that's the group though. Why would I not, you know, I'm having fun there. I didn't think anything of it. And I've actually noticed a few years down the road. Now, the other day I was having a conversation with someone and they just were, they're a very encouraging person. And they said, Hope, you know, you're not too extra for people here. And I wanted to cry and I didn't know why that hit me so hard. And I was thinking about how my whole life I've been told you're just so extra and so over the top and sometimes to an extreme fake. Um, And so hearing this now, like you're, you're not too extra, like you're actually that way on purpose, but it's because now I've been able to rest and realize that I can, it's hard to say, I can balance the strength of adaptability without feeling like I am nothing if I can't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I stepped into a group. I remember stepping into, I think it was, I mean, it was at a Christian university. So party is a really bad word to use because it wasn't really a party, but it was just (laughs) a social gathering. And I walked away from it feeling like, oh, I, I don't feel like I impressed anybody there. I wasn't like the center of attention or I didn't feel like I really fit in there, but it didn't, it didn't hurt as badly as it would have a few years ago. I was okay. being like, okay, I can just be here without being something here. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Just being, that's been a big thing that God's been showing you over this last year, really specifically, like you said, it started maybe two years ago, but uh, the first part of any journey is always kind of the unwinding of the old patterns. And then you have to figure out how to be a new way, you know, and that's uh, been a lot of the struggles this year in a good way, good struggling Mm -hmm. uh, to see what it means to just rest in who God's made you as worthy of just being, not doing and performing and what others need from you. Yeah. I know that when you first learned about the Enneagram and you were like, I'm going to be the best three ever, um, which is kind of the best three thing ever (laughs) to say. Um, You kind of, you took this and you were like, Hey, all of my friends, what's your type? How can I get to know you differently? You know, here's, here's what I am. Talk about how that influenced your circle of friends um, with that. Yeah, that was such a beautiful transition point for our friend group. When we got to see each other in that light of just having the, again, the Enneagram doesn't change who you are, just gives you language to see that. It's just a tool. And 
being able to really see each other and realize, wait, they're viewing this different than I am. That was so transformational. So my close circle of girls in high school, we had a six, an eight, a four, and a three. And y'all listen to the other podcast episodes if you want to find out more about those types. Little plug for you guys. Thank you for uh, the plug, Hopi. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first girl that I really talked to Enneagram with, she's a six. And we would get into these fights where I didn't understand why she was upset with me for not spending enough time with her or for it seeming like I was valuing other friends over her. Um, and for us to be able to sit down and be like, oh, you're viewing this situation from an eyes of someone who's valuing security in this friendship, mm. but I'm viewing it from how I didn't, as a, as a three, I didn't know how to just be that close with one person and that intimate. Like I had such a fear of being exposed and seen Yeah. versus for her, she's like, that's what makes a good friend. And it started there and then it seeped into our group and we were just able to see what the other person was seeing. And it was beautiful. It really opened up some deep conversations for you guys. And I remember yeah. we would just cry because we're like, look what God has done to restore, not just your relationships, but each of you individually started to just grow more in your own relationship with the Lord because you could get past the fear that you didn't even know was like capping that. And yeah. uh, so it, it was just, I think it was transformational as I watched that with your group over that year, year even, the, yeah. even over Christmas break this last year, how God just picked up right where y'all left mm-hmm. off and it was still moving and, and journeying toward wholeness. Yeah. So d- let's talk about that. Cause you talked a little bit about that pain point of, you didn't even realize that being that intimate and close with someone meant risking, what was the word you just used? I said exposure, like exposure. just, ex- yeah. yeah. So one of the things that we, we know, uh, as we studied the Enneagram is that the wounding is that it's not okay to have your own feelings and identity. And so I'm curious to hear how you would put that in your own language, uh, considering especially what you just said about risk yeah. exposure. For me, I felt like I didn't have anything underneath what I did, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I put so much weight into the actions and the performance that it didn't feel like there was, like, what, who am I? I, I am what I do, you know? I didn't know that you could be something without doing something like that still is something I have to work through. Um, yeah, that, that would be the way I would word it. Well, in fact, your, your first like really big lesson that God started teaching you was you were doing competitive gymnastics for several years. You started pretty young and I mean, you were good. Like you were going to state and it was, your team was exploding. All of you were like making top three all the time. And, um, then you're, you had a back issue where you actually, I mean, it was broken. And if you kept doing it, it was going to require surgery, which becomes a lifelong problem. So at this point it was, as you were transitioning also from the one school to the new school and all these unknowns of new friends and everything that you know was changing. And then God takes the one area away from you where you just shown, you know, you, yeah. So that was the first time before you had the language of the Enneagram to start hitting that pain point. Who am I? if I don't have mm-hmm. gymnastics. And yeah. so where you were at that point in your life is, uh, you know, what a 12, 13 year old was kind of when that was yeah. all happening versus where you were when you were going into college, not knowing who you were 
uh, just maybe explain the difference in how you process those challenges. Yeah. So as a 13 year old, I didn't realize that's what was happening. I just knew that I felt this emptiness, I guess. And so I didn't really, I think the difference is I just didn't really process it. You know, we feel all the things, but don't always know how to process it. And so I just decided to fill it with other things. I was going to try volleyball and try theater and be the best at that, you know, find something else um, versus this year coming into college. And I came into college, not having an extracurricular. I knew I was going to do for sure. And that, that for a three, (laughs) wait, I don't have something to do that. Also, I got that wing four coming in. It's like, I want to be different, but um, (laughs) this time though, I was able to say, okay, I don't really know. And I ended up changing my major too. So there were just a lot of things up in the air about who I was and what I was doing. I was able to kind of sit back and take that quiet time to look and say, okay, I don't really know what I'm doing right now or who or who I am really and what that looks like as far as a career, as far as what I'm going to do in college. Um, but I was able to say, okay, Jesus, show me who you are. Because if I look at you, then I don't need to know myself because you'll show me that, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that was the difference is I used to look at me and say, okay, who am I? But now I'm like, okay, who are you Jesus? Because that answers all the questions I need. If that makes sense. Yeah. I I want you to tell, I know it's intimate, but I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about that journey as you've just really learned to lean into the grace of finding your identity in him. I mean, I think as Christian women, we all learn like our identity is in Christ. This is, you know, a very Christian thing to say, and it's so true, but the depth of that reality is really hard to get to until we experience him at that core pain. And you have, yeah. so just share a little bit about that journey. That's, it's seriously the most beautiful process to be undone by Jesus and to just be so, it was so cool this last semester, my first semester at college. The best way to describe it is it felt like he was taking away layer by layer all the pieces I'd built up of, I'm going to make myself this stellar person. Um, and he would just take it away layer by layer. And I would sit and ask him, like just in the quiet time, ask him, okay, like Jesus, what's another lie I was believing about you? Because if you believe a lie about him, that's going to reflect on yourself. And he would say, oh, like, you don't believe that you're actually, that I would have stayed on the cross just for you. That was just one example. And he would like take away that lie and say, actually, look, look, I did that for you. Um, or he would say, you don't believe that I actually want to protect you. Um, and then he would say, but look, it says that my love cast out the fear, you know, and over and over again, every day there was something new he showed me that was a lie I was believing and then replacing it with a truth. And it was... It reminds me of that psalm that says, like, my deep calls in the deep. So this, like, deep need I have for you, it actually is filled with your deep fullness. Um, and it felt, it was it was interesting because it was this feeling of emptiness, but this feeling of emptiness with the hope that he fills it. Um, that's the difference, I think. And there were also... I, I coming in, obviously I didn't really know people. And so I had friends, but we hadn't developed those deep friendships yet. So I really learned how to lean on him as a friend. And 
another verse that's been key for me in this whole process has been Psalm 27, four, which is one thing I ask of the Lord, this do I seek to dwell in the gates of the Lord and gaze on his beauty. And he just kept reminding me hope. Like if you'll just look at me, just look at who I am, because that doesn't change. Like that is a constant. You never have to worry about that. Um, changing or being masked. I don't mask myself for you. I will expose all of myself for you, but you also have to do the same to me. So to sit there and be like, okay, like, here's all of it. Here's all of it, God. Like, this is all of who I am. There's not really anything there. But then he kept saying, he'll come in and say, but here's all of me, you know? Yeah, that's good. That's awesome. And I really, really wish that we could post the video of this because your face was just shining when you were saying all that. And your mom is just sitting there sobbing. Um, And it's so beautiful because, I mean, I've watched you since kindergarten or first grade or whatever. And just to see how God has grown you into those places. And I know at 18, there's a lot of life left to live and a lot of lessons still to learn. But I think that if you hadn't started on this journey in the last two, five years, that right now you'd be speaking a little bit different. It would still be about God because I know your heart, but it would be more like, um, well, I don't even want to project into that. I just know it would sound different than it does now. Yeah. Yes. What, what are the things, I mean, in those quiet times with the Lord, it sounds like he's doing just this amazing work where you are full and you're exposed. How does that translate into when you're not spending that one-on-one time and you are still having, you are still a performer. You are still doing things where you're on a platform or where people are looking at you. How do you kind of protect your heart and let God protect your heart in those places where it's still a struggle? Yeah, that is something I'm currently walking through because last semester, I honestly didn't have any platforms really. I wasn't in much. I didn't have a home church yet. And so it was pretty easy to hide. And I felt like he was hiding me on purpose to protect Mm -hmm. my heart. But this semester now, my social media has gotten pretty big. And I now I'm actually just got the news. I'm going to be a part of a production that my church is putting on different things like that. Um, it's, I have to continue to ask him, how, do, how do I do this differently? You know, cause it's not bad. Like there's a reason that I was wired to be a communicator and to be able to be a storyteller, to do these things that a three, when they're in a healthy space can do, mm. but how do I do that without putting on the mask and, I think the difference has been making sure that I have the alone time with him before and making sure that I have that going in. Um, And it's really, it's so hard to describe because whenever there's a mental or spiritual shift, it's hard to describe it in practical ways of how that looks different because how it looks different is just spending more time with him and getting to know him. Like I said, because I can focus on myself as much as I want, but I can't make myself love him more. I can't make myself be a better Christian, you know, or be a better person going into it. It's really just leaning back and also not, not seeking out all the opportunities for myself. Mm. If that makes sense. The, a lot of the stuff that's been happening to me where I feel like now I'm starting to be put in a spotlight again they were opportunities that I sought out versus I think in the past, I always thought no one would seek me out if I didn't initiate that first. So I would seek out all the, all the opportunities. Yeah. Um, so that's been a big shift too. 
That's good. Um, I read a book, one of the books I read on the Enneagram talked about like spiritual disciplines for each type and like really how God can meet you in that space. And I believe threes, it was something about stillness because that's hard for threes to be still. And it sounds like just implementing that practice is the place where God has shaped you. Um, And I say that knowing that I need to go back and read that again, because I think for fours, it's something like solitude. And I am like terrified of that. So I probably need to go back and start implementing that practice in my own life too. But I, that's a really good, like, practical, I think, step for Christian threes to really hold yeah. on to. Yes, the stillness has been huge, huge for sure. I think it always comes down to that uh, motivation. Like, for me, um, I'm going to be a doer because it's just who I am. Like, you are a performer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when I start feeling this panic come, like, I can't do it all. And so the fear is that I'm going to be exposed. Now, I'm not exposed in the way that you feel like you are, I feel like I'm going to be exposed as this fraud that was trying to look like she had it all together and couldn't keep it going. Right. That's when I have to take a heart check and go, hold on. Why are you doing these things then? Are you doing them to strive to keep this veneer out there all, you know, so I don't have to stop doing. I mean, I, I actually can't stop doing. I'm still a mom. I still have to work, you know, I'm still whatever, but it's the, it's the, way I'm driven for it. So rest has been a big thing for me too, Mm -hmm. as a one in a different way than it has been for you. But we, what we are called to do and who God's designed us to be in this beautiful way is our gift mix. That's always mixed with a twist of it in our sin nature. And so you don't stop being a three, you're always going to be a three. And there's a beautiful gift in that for the world, but it's so much more beautiful when it's flowing from who God is and the fullness of that in you, your worth and identity is so, you know, entrenched in who he is and his grace and love. And it pours out onto others where you just shine his light and you love others with his love Mm -hmm. versus being driven to go secure your spot. You know, almost like when you were younger, we would talk a little bit about this, like need to be in the spotlight. And we use that kind of figuratively, but if I'm not in the spotlight, then no one sees me. That's a mm-hmm. fear. That's And if that fear is driving you to remain in the spotlight, that's a whole different thing than I am so filled with the love and light yeah. of Jesus that I just want to proclaim him everywhere I go. That, that you know, still performing, still yeah. shining, but for different reasons. And the fullness of that is beautiful to behold. And so just like... Yeah. I don't want to say kudos to you because that sounds cheesy, but like, I'm so blessed to watch your journey because I see the, it is, it's hard, deep work and it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen just because you read a book on the Enneagram. It doesn't happen just because you hear a message on, you know, firmly finding your identity in Christ. It is a daily practice of surrendering those lies to the new truth he wants to give. And I'm, I'm just proud of you for taking that journey. It, it really is something that, of course, only he can do the work, but it does require the daily discipline of saying, right now I'm sitting down with, I'm sitting down in my room, like with my Bible and my thoughts are everywhere, or I'm in a worship setting. A big thing for me has been, how do I act when I'm around other people worshiping? And so I'm in this room and I'm thinking about how everyone else is acting and what type of worship I'm portraying and thinking like I'm so cognitively aware of what's happening around me because that's how I'm wired, but then channeling that to say, okay, Lord, then I'm going to, instead of using that for how do I act here? Just let me, let me see what you're doing here. You know, it's just that switch. 
Um, and another thing I just thought of like practical things for threes too, is being intentional with one-on-one relationships because that was something I was scared of for a long time because then they really see you. Um, so one thing that's really transformed me is my friendships have transitioned from big groups of people to a lot of one-on-one interactions. Um, just sitting with another girl at a coffee shop and just talking about the Lord and what he's doing in our hearts and just those messy things and being okay with the fact that you'll never fully arrive, you know, like the Lord loves the process and the messy. That's been a huge transitional shift too. That's really good, man. I feel like we could stay on this topic for a long time. There's lots of good stuff here. Um, I would just say to, you know, I think there's a couple numbers who like their number when they find out. Eights generally are pretty happy with themselves when they get that. Like, yeah, (laughs) good. And I think a lot of threes are at the top like you are like, yeah, I want to be the best at things. I want to be the best three I'm going to be. But the journey for healing it's hard for all of us, no matter what type you are. When you really start laying down the things that keep you from vulnerability, keep you from surrendering to the Lord to heal you versus fixing it on your own. And I think my charge to just anybody listening, no matter if you're a three or not, is be willing to get vulnerable and be willing to get messy because there's some really beautiful fruit on the other side of that. Yeah. Well, Hope, thank you so much for coming on and just sharing your heart with us and with our listeners. Um, I I think, you know, I've heard a lot of Enneagram teachers say, don't type your kids. Don't, don't start the Enneagram with them too young. So I think the age that you were and the maturity that you were at that, you know, 15, 16, um, it really just, it started you on this journey. And I do think that as parents... I don't know how this happened with you guys. I don't know if your mom handed you the book and said, hey, you're a three, because I think we all knew you were a three before you even started learning about it. Um, But I do think the fact that you were willing to kind of take that journey and really examine those deep places is what's brought you into this place that God has for you. So um, I love watching teenagers interact with this. I wish we could get it into more classrooms and youth groups and all kinds of stuff, because I think that it would save us a lot of heartache later on. So thank you for that and your presence here thank you for being on today's episode love you thank you bye and that wraps up another episode of the dauntless grace exchange you can follow us on social media to stay connected we are on instagram at dauntless grace ministries our facebook page is dauntless grace and you can join the conversation in our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash team dgm for more about the enneagram visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me on Instagram at Enneagram Megan. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast at dauntlessgrace.org.